Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Escalante, the behind-the-scenes podcast of Culinary Word of the Day. I am one of your hosts, Jen De La Vega. And I am Alicia Book. I will be asking Jen the very interesting questions today. As always. <laughs> um, this is going to air later, but we had just had, we had our holiday party in yes. Brooklyn. And thanks to everybody who showed up. Uh, it was really lovely to see you folks face to face and talk about the podcast and introduce the podcast to new listeners who might be tuning in right now. <laughs> Such an exciting thought. I love that. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, but Alicia and I actually had not seen each other in person in many years. A long time. I'm not I don't even 100%. Even know. Yeah, like, I'm not sure we could actually date back. I don't know if we want to date back how, how long it's been, but let's yeah. just say since a while before COVID. Yes, yes. Um, so it was really cool to catch up and hug you and yeah. um, just celebrate uh, what we've done together. We are well over halfway uh, through season two of a relaunch of this podcast, and it just uh, feels like a huge accomplishment. So thank you, Alicia, for making the time. Thank you, Jen, of your little brainchild here, like, including <laughs> me in this. It's It really has been actually a joy to work on this and just like learn different things um, and sort of interact on a different level, too. I mean, it's interesting like we haven't seen each other in so long, but we're able to pick this up and kind of mm-hmm. just be able to talk about it and jump into it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. So. Pow- the power of friendship. <laughs> it's true. Transverses city boroughs. Moves <laughs> out and can survive moving out to the island. Goodness. Um, for those of you who did not make it to the party, you missed out on uh, some treats. There was cheese and charcuterie and dips, and I was giving out door prizes. <laughs> um, I won some apple butter, which was delicious. Yay! Um, I did, did not last very long. How did you enjoy was, your apple butter? Um, we actually had some pumpkin um, bread in the fridge that oh, my mom had made. Yes. And Sky was he kind of, I don't like he ate most of it, but he, he kind of like got home that night. I, I was designated driver. And so I was driving home and he got into the fridge and he just went to town on that bread and then apple. he stays up, but there was some for the morning, but it was that and some, <laughs> some English muffins. It was delicious though. Incredible. It was very, very good. Yeah, yeah. You, you won the prize for traveling in, uh, from the farthest place. Right. Which was great. Right. Uh, my friend Bettina got a person who traveled the least, uh, who happened to live in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> we also had a prize for the oldest and the youngest folks in the room, <laughs> which was really fun. What uh, was the age difference between the oldest and the youngest? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't. I think it was just it was 10 years. Oh, that's okay. That's <laughs> Not so that, bad. That makes, yeah, that makes sense for that group, sure. <laughs> but it was a, a good time. Uh, thanks to everybody who who joined us and celebrated and toasted us. It was a delight. And uh, sure, hopefully doesn't. next year we will celebrate again in person uh, with our three-year anniversary or season three launch. Oh, my gosh. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows what our lives will be like <laughs> by then? Let's not think that far ahead just yet. Okay, yeah, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it, we, it was great to see everyone, though. Yeah, so it's suddenly, you know, we've had some interesting weather lately. It's It's been in the, it was in the 70s just a couple weeks ago, and now it is in the 30s. It is quite cold. And windy. And we are approaching the holiday season. Well, by the time this airs, it will be after the holiday season. But, uh, you know, it's still cold, and mm-hmm. uh, we can make 
really nice, warm, comforting things in the kitchen to, uh, you know, make it feel a little bit warmer here. Yes, I was like, this episode is it's all about sort of like creating heat in the kitchen if your house is a little, maybe it's a little chilly. Maybe not everyone's turning the heat on as high as they can right now or if they want to. Or yeah, um, I think the theme is temperature uh, right, more, right. more broadly, maybe. There we go. There we go. I, I got a little weird. That's fine. Um, but the three words we're going to describe to discuss today are braising, shallow frying, and the the, the danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. That one's a fun one. <laughs> it's an important one too. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the second word in our catalog that has like a rich set of memes from Archer. Yes, right after stir fry. Stir fry was the first one. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of people retweeted that one. <laughs> Sir Friday. Sir Friday. Um, but uh, now we're in the danger zone. I think the danger zone also has like a lot of other we can go beyond Archer with that one too. Yes, for sure. Yes, Top Gun. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, but let's let's bring it back to the first word, braising. Uh it's a wonderful thing in the wintertime, really. It's uh, making use of that Dutch oven you've got uh, tucked away on the shelf. <laughs> yeah and it took me a minute to kind of wrap my head around braising too because it's not something that I'm actually not sure if I've ever tackled it in the kitchen myself just because it's a little I think a little bit more complex than other ways of cooking um you know we've done you know stir frying and sauteing this pot which I think is kind of easy to throw stuff in a pan this one I think tastes a little bit more technique am I wrong in this or mm-hmm. Just a little bit more but not much mm-hmm. more <laughs> no but it's good to sort of understand like you know, I wasn't always sure like what type of meat do you use? And that's really where like, if I don't really understand like what I'm supposed to buy, that could be my first holdup in even starting like a cooking oh, project. Sure. Yeah. So the big definition of braising is that it's usually larger cuts of meat that need time to break down. And the amount of the liquid in the braise is meant to help break down those fats. And then the fats inside of the meat uh, become part of the sauce which is very luxurious and uh, mm. reduced over time. Uh, it is covered in the oven and results in something that is stewy, but it is not stew because stew has a very big difference. Um, stew can be also baked in the oven, but uh, stew is smaller cuts of meat that are are stewed. <laughs> and sure, they can be tougher cuts of meat, just like a braise, but... Um, It's more uniform and, uh, you know, you have your vegetables all about the same size, uh, cooked the same rate. So uh, that's, you know, that's kind of the big difference is that stewing is cut up stuff. Braising is a larger piece of meat uh, that needs to be cooked for a long time. And you don't necessarily have the vegetables in there with it, correct? Not necessarily, but sometimes you'll want aromatics like pearl onions or Mm -hmm. things that can withstand the length of that cook time. Because if you put, um, you know, green beans at the very onset of the cooking process, they will be, (laughs) you know, uh, waterlogged or uh, overboiled or falling apart. Mm -hmm. Mushy? Yeah, they'll get mushy. Yeah. So you have to be strategic about when you're going to be adding different vegetables because you you can add, you know, vegetables to it. It's just that braises uh, really reward uh, heartier vegetables. So tubers, potatoes. Uh, rutabagas, (laughs) turnips, like hearty veg. Okay. 
Plus and plus they soak up all that lovely braising liquid too. Interesting. So say like I'm pulling a potato out of the braise and I kind of like mash it up with my fork a little bit. Does it have sort of its own, you know, like liquid inside? You know what I mean? Like you don't need to add anything to the potato. It's like its own gravy. Yeah. Braising liquid is sort of a gravy. Yeah. That sounds delicious. That there was no extra step to boil the gravy. Right. You just, you have it all in the one pot. Mm -hmm. The more we talk about it, the easier it does kind of sound, to be honest with you. (laughs) It's not so bad. No. It's actually a Um, dish you can leave in the oven for quite a while. And that is part of it though, right? It has to stay. It's not like a half an hour, one hour. It's longer than that. Mm -hmm. It's It's usually like an hour or two hours, depending on the size of the meat. Okay. Low and, and how, slow, yeah. Low and slow. Low and slow. Name of the braise game. Mm-hmm. Um, and what kind of liquid would you choose for each meat? Is it, is it like a neat? Is it normally in the recipe? Um, it can vary. It too- okay. It can vary um, depending on the recipe. Uh, and, you know, uh, pairing rules are sort of uh, being overturned these days. Like, you used to think that red wines were exclusively for red meats uh, mm-hmm. and white wines were for chicken and poultry. But uh, a lot of sommeliers are starting to say, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the flavor profiles are so nuanced in wine that you can, if it tastes good together, then you can cook mm-hmm. with it together is the general rule. Well, that's actually, that's a good thing to like keep kind of on hand. If it tastes good together, you can generally cook. Okay, cool. Yeah. So um, talk to your wine shop. um, Talk to any sommeliers at restaurants. um, Ask for recommendations on pairing. And then you can keep that wealth of knowledge to yourself and use it in the kitchen, especially with braising. Interesting. And how, how much prep work goes into this though? Like, do I, should I be in the grocery store the day before or can I kind of like wake up one day and be like, I'm braising today, going to get a, some pork shank and I'll be good to go? Yeah, as long as your protein is not frozen, um, you know, because that would take you know a longer time. So you want to defrost your meats. Uh, if you're going to use broth, you can make your broth from scratch the day before. Um, and no, you can actually just put it all in the pot and go as long as you are able to you can afford the cook time, you know, like you're not in a rush to mm-hmm. for dinner. You could start in this in the morning and let it go till the afternoon and have it ready for dinner. Um, you can even prep everything the night before, put it in the pot, put the whole pot in the fridge and then mm-hmm. and then bring it out uh, to room temperature and then and start that braise. Um, you can also sear your meats the day before if you wanted to, if you wanted to save some time. Uh, and then, yeah, you just Stick it in the oven. Let it go. Don't open the lid because <laughs> you're going to let out all that wonderful cooking steam. So it is really kind of like a good wintertime activity, though. Like it's like you could smell it. I'm sure it smells nice throughout the day and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Especially have Ooh. rosemary in there, if you can imagine. Goodness. Okay. <laughs> Party yeah, herbs. Party mm. herbs for good braise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are there any sort of like cultures that really emphasize braising as a technique that they use or is oh. it universal? It's pretty universal, I would say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't think of a single one that makes it famous, okay. you know, um, because culturally the, there are a lot of things that we don't realize are braises. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes they can be on the stovetop and sometimes they can be in the oven, but it's mostly that there is some liquid 
lots of meat and it's covered. And over time, the meat becomes tender and the sauce becomes richer from all of that. Um, like, for example, adobo in the Philippines is a braise. Um, it's just that yeah. we're not really putting it in the oven. It's on the stovetop. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. That braise is unique in that it doesn't use broth or wine, though some variations these days might have that. Uh, mm -hmm. But the uh, base recipe is vinegar and soy sauce, which is very rich. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So do those components um, break down the meat in a different way or is it sort of the same idea and concept of like having wine, which has, I guess, an acidic flavor to it? Yeah, it is providing that acidity and vinegar is or used to be wine at some point right. in its life. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. When you came into the, the stage of its lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's it's really uh, potent, which is why adobo is eaten with rice. So okay. there are accompaniments uh, to go with it. Okay. So, and it's sometimes like the vegetables that you put, like I'm thinking about potatoes and turnips and stuff like that. I guess those are also sort of bland kind of vegetables that would be complementing sort of a hearty sauce, right? Mm -hmm, so it's... Mm -hmm. Everything kind of goes, you're not, you know, pairing it with, I'm trying to think of like a shocking company and I can't think of one right now. <laughs> like you wouldn't do with lettuce. <laughs> right. Okay. Cabbage. Yes. Cabbage okay. can withstand heat uh, and braising and roasting and all that, but lettuce, no. Anything that's watery and delicate, I would not uh, braise, though you could garnish with it if you wanted to at the very end. Oh. And yeah. make it look really pretty. Yeah, okay. like if you had some microgreens or arugula, like at the end, mm -hmm. cute. <laughs> Go on top. Yeah. Microgreens. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, so I was reading a little bit about, there's like a lot of articles about this, actually, the Zen of the Braze. Oh, yes. And I was trying to find a good interpretation of that, but maybe you could explain it to me a little bit better. Um, because people, I kept kind of seeing the phrase and I was like, this is kind of cool, but I didn't fully get it. So, um, yeah, you had shared an article that we put at the end of the episode um, mm -hmm. that is from the New York Times archive. I thought this was really beautiful. So I'm going to read the quote here. When the liquid was barely trembling, not even a real simmer, he slid the pot with a loose cover of foil into the wood-burning oven. The zen of brazing is all about the courage required by patience, Mr. Hayward said, you're looking for a breakdown of the connective tissue and a release of collagen to make the meat slippery, rich, and moist. You want the tissues to liquefy without melting them away. He paused a minute. Brazing is an art, he said. <laughs> what a beautiful paragraph. It's so good. It's so it's good. It's so good. And it's true. Brazing is an art. And there's something to be said about I don't know, modern society and how we're in a lot of a rush these days. You know, we want our food to be done in 30 minutes or less, even 15 minutes or less. And braising sort of takes you back to a time where food wasn't convenient. And uh, there is this beauty in waiting, waiting patiently for something beautiful to be born. Like that's that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, there's a it's like sentimental too, mm -hmm. um, and the idea of sort of wait, you know waiting around and then also enjoying that like sort of heart like meal that was a lot of hard work with your family or friends or whomever you want to share your meal with. Yeah, um, it's it's a large reward, you know, and uh, it's really interesting to think of cooking techniques as sort of emotional 
or environmental color, like boiling would be mm. very aggressive. Right. You know, like it's bubbles rushing everywhere, heat molecules crashing into each other, steam rising. It's very dramatic. Um, but brazing, there is a Zen nature about it in 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 the way that it it bubbles slowly. <laughs> Like at the low temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And is it hard to burn when you're brazing or is it? You could burn if there was not enough liquid in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about like the whole art of the calmness of it. You know, it's, it's, uh, I think of broiling where you can burn so quickly and so easily, the fast cooking. Whereas I think of the slow cooking where you're like, you can, relax a little bit with it. Does that make you sense? You could. Yeah, you could relax with it. Um, and another key thing is the lid. Like the lid mm-hmm. has to match the pot. It has to fit tightly because otherwise you're going to lose uh, that steam. It's not going to condense back on the lid and go back down into the braise. So it's it's doing this sort of um, mini version of the precipitation cycle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's yeah, it, it's steaming upward, it's condensing, and then rains back down into the meat, so it all joins back together. It's a lovely little cycle. But if your lid doesn't fit, then you won't get that same effect. It'll burn off, uh, steam off, and then you're left with something that's sort of dry and could be burnt. Um, but yeah, largely you can leave a braise alone and just kind of enjoy the smells. It's a sensory experience. Yeah. <laughs> and like every pot, you know, every pot has a lid to it. it, makes a little bit more sense. And that, you know, you can find something that fits well and you get this great meal at the end. Yeah. Kind of beautiful. Oh, lovely. I want to know other cooking techniques. Folks, if you want to uh, respond to us on Twitter with, um, you know, uh, what kind of vibe do each of the cooking techniques, uh, com- uh, you know, exhibit, because this is a really fun, uh, <laughs> fun way to relate it to other people. I'm I'm almost thinking about like those Pixar movie, the Pixar movie about like the emotions. I'm ah, like, yes. Because like I'm thinking of boiling now, and boiling just so angry. Like you it's said, it's a, aggressive. the angry one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, which like which emotions can you place in different things? You know, even um, like stir frying has an aggression to it. You know what I mean? Or like it's excitable. It really you know, excitable. Yeah, that's excitable. A better, <laughs> that's the better word. Yes. I um, love this. This is fun. <laughs> and even just like our mashed potatoes, like the process of making them looks kind of like a dumpiness. I don't Maybe dumpy isn't the right word, but. Um, mashing. Mashing is mashing. force. Yeah. <laughs> you got to break down these really hard, almost like rock-like vegetables. <laughs> so. I like I that. Know. Yeah. Listeners, if you would like to chime in, please respond to us uh, on Twitter at culinary WOTD. We would love to hear your input on this. Yes. The emotions to the cooking techniques. <laughs> personification even maybe i'm not sure yeah oh uh we, we in your research you also found a list of other names for brazing and i just kind of yes. want to uh go over these because they're really fun to say out loud <laughs> yes we got french brasser it sounds like bra but it's not <laughs> brasser german uh you might have to help me with this one is it schmoren yep schmoren cool <laughs> uh dutch is not that far away from it so smoren and stoven it sounds like a they got two words for it i wonder what the distinction is between the two dutch words of smoren and stoven i have no idea i don't know too much about the origin of the dutch language so if anyone 
We have any Dutch speakers out there who can, you know, if there's a, it's a way, like, I'm just wondering if it's a way of cooking or if it's a, something different that you use. Or it's interchangeable or is the regional, maybe. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. (laughs) Uh, We got Spanish, brasear. Oh, braseo is uh, eye braise. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Braceas <laughs> is you braise. <laughs> Brace braceamos is we braise. <laughs> Sorry, I know how to conjugate Spanish. So. No, I like it. Braceamos. Yeah. Uh, I guess you're gonna call to action. Like we braise tonight. Oh right, yeah. So the um the the imperative of Spanish is just taking off the R. So bracear mm-hmm. becomes bracea with an exclamation point. You bra- like we that. braise, braise. braise. <laughs> um, Portuguese, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right. Cocinar lentamente em gordura. Uh, cook slowly in a gordura. <laughs> I don't know what a gordura is, but I'm sure it's the cooking vessel. A gourd, do you think? Oh, maybe. <laughs> do you think, really? Gordura? Do you think that comes from cooking inside of uh, hardened gourds? It That's might cool. be. <laughs> I don't I know hope, the origin. I want that to be true. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, I mean, I know Portuguese and Latin have a lot of overlap, but I don't know what the origin of gourd is. Oh, so. cool. Well, we'll have to look that up. So, yeah, braising is a wonderful technique, and I implore all of you to try it if you've never done it before. Taking the plunge, getting to a new technique. I like Ooh, it. Ooh, taking the plunge. That's kind of perfect for the next word. Right, because we're getting to shallow fry. Yes. Uh, I, I'm kicking myself for putting these a little bit out of order because I think I should have put shallow fry near all the other frying words. But you know what? We're just covering a lot of ground here. It's OK. You know what? Hopefully if somebody wants to binge everything, they'll get it together. Yeah, so there you go. it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> the annotated order of podcasts is going to be our special edition. All right. So shallow frying. What is on your mind about shallow frying, Alicia? I'm actually curious why I'm going to choose to shallow fry before I just want to either fry something or deep fry. Why would I go with this one? Why would I make this choice to shallow fry something? Cool. So frying, as we understand it, is, uh, you know, enough oil to cover the bottom of a a skillet. Mm -hmm. Um, Shallow frying is filling the, the skillet halfway up with oil. And then deep frying is uh, you know, engulfing or immersing foods in a pot of oil. And so shallow frying is this happy medium between the two and lends itself to a lot of uh, uniquely shaped foods is what I'm going to say. <laughs> That's amazing. That uniquely is Uniquely shaped foods. Because um, frying can, enco- you know, encompass a lot of things. And it's not to say you can't fry um certain shapes or not fry certain shapes. It's just that shallow frying uh, has a depth for a reason. It's that you are flipping something once, (laughs) once really, and that either it has a a delicate outside or um, most of the time uh, shallow fried foods are flattened. (laughs) Okay. So if you tenderize the meat first or something like that. Something like that. A lot of them tend to be or pounded meats. Mm -hmm. So uh, you might recognize a lot of these like a chicken cutlet, (laughs) a pounded chicken cutlet that is breaded or battered. um, And then, uh, you know, you fry it very quickly, both on, you know, a couple minutes each each side and it's done. It's it's amazing. 
Um, the thing about it is uh, the deep fryer is a big setup, like, you know, heating up multiple quarts of oil, getting, mm -hmm. you know, your utensils for it takes a while to heat up. You even have to, uh, you know, get a pan, a, a plate, I'm sorry, with uh, paper towels and drain everything. Uh, you still have to do some of those things in shallow frying, but you're not using as much oil. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit, I feel like it's a little bit safer too. You know, you're not worried about a giant oil spill. A yeah. an oil spill can happen, but it's not an overwhelming amount of oil. Yeah. The key thing with any frying in general to prevent any uh, mishaps is to one, keep an eye on the temperature of, of what you're cooking uh, in a basic frying technique you wouldn't really have enough oil to measure but in a shallow fry and a deep fry you can measure the temperature with a thermometer a food thermometer food safe thermometer <laughs> um and always remember that oil and water do not mix <laughs> so you know make sure you your utensils are dry before you use them uh make sure that foods you're about to fry are are padded dry or um rested enough that uh, they're not dripping with sweat. <laughs> uh, like you wouldn't shallow fry uh, something that is, uh, you know, super, super wet. Like, like you wouldn't do potatoes that are um, still dripping with water. First mm -hmm. of all, those would not stick to their, uh, their breading or their batter. Right. So you got to make sure, th sure things are dry uh, so they don't pop at you while they're frying. That's such a terrifying thought. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> but you can buy frying screens that can mm -hmm. uh, prevent these things from popping back at you. So, and you mm -hmm. just mentioned that you flip it once. What happens if you flip it more than once? So uh, I tend to flip things only once, and you're checking underneath uh, if you are ready to flip, because uh, sometimes the breading can fall off. Okay. You fiddle with it too much. Your breading might be, you know, you're getting your tongue imprint on <laughs> on the, the beer battered chicken and you're like, mm -hmm. oh man, it's not uniform anymore. Uh, and you're letting more oil inside of the food. So uh, yeah, I try to flip only once. And okay. recipes uh, hopefully have given you the estimate of how long each side should take. Okay, gotcha. And I also... I've, I've over oiled the pan before. Like I put too much in what's, what is your best solution to like, do I just drain it out a little bit? Do I wait and see if the food is too submerged? I'm not really sure what to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in shallow frying, you really shouldn't be going more than halfway on the pan. Um, mm -hmm. and if you haven't turned your heat on yet, you could just simply pour it off into another container. Um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> as, so as long as it's still cool, you can still transfer it safely. Uh, but if you're already like mid process, uh, mm -hmm. the best thing to do is get a dry, like metal ladle mm -hmm. <laughs> and, oh. and ladle off some into a heat safe container. Cause some plastic containers can melt and that will be even an even bigger disaster on your counter. Cause you've melted with hot oil. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> stop it no you haven't. I have I've totally done it I was a little too uh you know panicked 
Like mm-hmm. if you don't have the right tools around you, you go scrambling around and you're like, wait, I could just do this. And then I melted a plastic container. <laughs> so that is, I guess with all frying, it is important to have like certain tools on hand. Is there anything with shallow frying that is specific or it's sort of a general have X, you know, you'll, you should know to have X, Y, and Z. Oh yeah. This is a good question. Um, It actually has the same tool set as deep frying. Okay. So it's great to have a set of tongs or a frying spider, uh, if you're using, if you're going to be frying smaller things, a frying spider is great or a fry basket, but you wouldn't need a fry basket in a shallow fry. Um, so a, uh, metal, uh, fish spatula is always great, especially if it's a, a long item, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a, like a pork chop, a breaded pork chop or something like that. Um, but yeah, and then you always want to have uh, another sheet pan or a plate covered in paper towels. Or alternatively, if you don't want to use a lot of paper towels, you can do um, a cooling rack nested in a sheet pan so that the oil drains off. When you oh, that's take good it to off. know. I was I was actually wondering about that. If, you, like, if you're trying to conserve or not waste paper towels, if the cooling racks are sort of an acceptable mm-hmm. you know, way to get rid of the, the excess oil and stuff as, like that. As long as it is nested in the sheet pan, like it's flush with the sides, like it's not like one side is too long or something like that because mm-hmm. slanting uh, the food might fall off or like, you know, the rack might not exactly fit. So when you're moving it, you, you might have some accidents with it. So mm-hmm. just make sure your uh, cooling rack fits into the sheet pan, a lipped sheet pan, because that's oil that is dripping off of it, <laughs> not a cookie sheet. The cookie sheet is flat. <laughs> <laughs> See, these are good things to know. I would not have, <laughs> I would make all of these mistakes. Like these are all things that I would try to like do in a brush and be like, oh, a sheet pan is a sheet pan. Doesn't even matter. And <laughs> there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Um does the type of oil matter to shallow frying? Or is it once again based on the food you're kind of cooking with? Um, it is also again the same tool set as any high heat uh frying method. So uh, oils that have a high smoke point, um, high heat cooking oils, so vegetable oil, canola oil, safflower, sunflower, uh, peanut oil, um, and then not, we're not shallow frying in butter (laughs) or um, low smoke point fats. So like, um, gosh, I can't think. (laughs) think. Anything that has an essence in it. So like truffle oil, never, never fry with truffle oil. <laughs> you just burn off the truffle stuff. You just burn mm-hmm. off the expensive part. I was all the But some shallow frying uh, does use lard. Uh, some lards can can go to higher temperatures, but not necessarily a deep frying like four hundred degree temperature. You'd have to double check what the the height is on on those. But also duck confit. Have you heard of duck confit? I have, but uh, I, yeah. I could use a reminder, though. Yeah, duck confit is duck that has been slowly um, uh, cooked in its own fat. So duck fat is another sort of frying, uh, shallow frying uh, medium, which is delicious. That sounds really delicious, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've talked about some of these animal fats before, too, um, and how we can fry with them. But I actually, I didn't really think about... Um, shallow frying and deep frying having like different smoke points to them and like being able it's like some can withstand a little bit more yeah extreme. I, w- I would not deep fry with duck fat it would evaporate too quickly um mm-hmm. because shallow frying is faster or that you're you know you're not doing large batches of french fries <laughs> <laughs> i mean though you can uh these days 
uh, you just have to keep an eye on the temperature. I actually don't know the upper limit of duck fat. Should probably, I should look at Yeah, like you probably don't need that off the top of your head you know, no. in everyday life. But <laughs> <laughs> I'd be very impressed, actually, if you knew that like right off the top of your head. I'd be like, she just hangs out with duck fat a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know. Um, um, but yeah, but shallow frying is, you're going to see that a lot with flat foods. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we mentioned, uh, pork chops, you get pounded chicken. So chicken melanesa, chicken for chicken payard is pounded flat and shallow fried. Um, what else? Katsu, pork mm-hmm. and chicken katsu, Japanese uh, breading technique is shallow fried, um, you could deep fry that, but I would only put in the work of setting up a deep fryer if I was doing a bunch of katsu. Like if I was doing right. like 20, then yeah, deep frying would be great because you could fit a whole, you know, a whole bunch more of those cutlets in there. But if it's like just a weeknight, I wouldn't go through the trouble of setting up the deep fryer. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a yummy technique that's a little bit less intense than the deep frying yeah. overall. Less intense. And you'll see it in recipes for okonomiyaki, which is Japanese pancake, uh, and latkes. Oh my gosh, one of my favorites. Yeah, the best. The best. And in the case of latkes, um, you don't want to turn them too much because what are they? They are shredded potato and sometimes onion. And any more movement than necessary can uh, break them apart. That's what I was thinking when you were talking about the flipping over. I was like, oh, I could see like if you got really, let's say flipping happy and they would just kind of like break in half or even when you were transferring them onto a cooling sheet, would they possibly break apart on like a cooling, sorry, a cooling rack instead of the paper towels? You know, would that happen or would you think they'd be fall apart? I think if they were cooked thoroughly, they they Mm -hmm. start to stick together. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've noticed, but um, potatoes have like. I don't know. They they have this like they hold hands like, like potato threads. I don't know. That is that a weird way to say it? Like no, uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Stick. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the scientific way of explaining that better. They hold but hands. They do. They get they get very like. I don't want to use the word glue because that's, that's the wrong way to. That's a yeah it. unpleasant uh, yeah, mouthfeel, but. but... That that's the 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 notion of what I'm going for is that they right. they stick together. Yes. Uh, so it wouldn't fall apart p- fall apart if it was fried properly. Um, so I was doing some of this research and, and they're talking about how if you hit the smoke point in the shallow fry, though, the oil can turn bitter, yes. which I think you worry about less than other frying techniques. But um, and they said to get rid of the oil. What happens, though, about the food that's in the oil? Ah. <laughs> like you're, you're making these latkes like you only have. You're making seven latkes because you like seven people coming over. Everybody just gets the one latka, which is an insane number. But <laughs> I want to say I got to save the last latka. Like my friend John needs that latka. It's the only oh, thing I'm serving no. tonight for dinner. Can I save the latka that's already in the oil or is that latka done for? Like we're. Is it it's burnt? burnt? If it's burnt, then I wouldn't serve it. Oh, <laughs> poor John. He doesn't get I the know. latka. Sorry, John. One less latka. Um, <laughs> the thing is. uh smoke point is something you can watch for before you even put the food in so that's why it's important to have a a, you know a food safe thermometer uh on hand 
because uh, once you see that oil smoking, you know not to put the food in there. But if it's too late and you've walked away, uh, mistake mm. number one, <laughs> do not walk away from frying situation. <laughs> it's a good life lesson. Good Never life walk away lesson. from a good fry. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, so if you, for some, for whatever reason, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on and you've walked away. Uh, the first thing is to do is to move that pan off of the active burner. Number mm-hmm. one, cause it's smoking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're, you're not going to create more smoke. Hopefully mm-hmm. open a door, turn on your vents. Um, you got to also remove the burning food. So you got to get some tongs. Mm-hmm. Get it onto uh, a different cooling rack or a different plate if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you're going to have to discard that oil. Um, but thankfully, with shallow frying, you don't use a lot more versus deep frying. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to have to to start over. Hopefully, you haven't gone too far into your latka making that. <laughs> so always make extra latkes. Like just make sure you've got a couple more just in case. Generally a good rule. Just make more than you think because uh, sometimes you make mistakes. I make mistakes. <laughs> all the time <laughs> I mean it's, it's always good to know I feel like I I feel like I learned that like a long time ago with cookies like it's always good to make more cookies than less mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that first batch I can never get it correct but we're, we're not talking about cookies today not yet at least not yet no but I actually I have one more question for you and is there a favorite food that you like to shallow fry oh gosh uh it is the season. I do love to shallow fry a lot. I like to do um, like grated apple in there as well. Ooh. Yeah. Apple and onion good. with it. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you get latkes and you have applesauce and the sour cream sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like to just do the apple as well. <laughs> I'm going to make a note of that because that's actually, that sounds like a different little a little sweetness to it, a little texture difference. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's the same principle. You are squeezing out the liquid from the potato and onion and apple so that it is dry as a bone when you fry it. <laughs> Good mental notes, right? Because those apples can be very juicy. Mm-hmm. So lovely, but <laughs> but yeah, shallow frying. It's it's wonderful. It's it's good for uh, you know uh, <laughs> cooking cooking your flat flat meats. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, to, it's interesting <laughs> to go from like braising with like a hunk of meat to shallow fry with like your flatter meats, but both good. You're right. Wintertime things that we want to cook right now, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so perfect timing to be listening and talking about these things. It's very cozy. It's very cozy. So. All right. Guys, we'll get to the danger zone. Oh. finally. Danger zone. Danger zone. There's going to be a lot of it. Sorry. everybody. <laughs> endlessly entertaining it is a danger zone okay so my first question do you want to talk about what the danger zone is first or get right sure. into- okay go for it yeah the danger zone is a temperature range uh it is 40 to 140 now the danger zone is not a goal <laughs> you know i don't i don't want to give the wrong idea but the danger zone is the area in which uh, microbiology, so that is bacteria, molds, um, you know, uh, things that cause food poisoning, those are they grow the most. They they grow logarithmically in the conditions where environments are between forty and one hundred and forty degrees. So, under forty degrees, that is the temperature of your fridge. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fridges are, they range in the 40, 40 degree range. Um, below that, your freezer is at 32. Mm-hmm. So um, that is uh, uh, microorganisms either die off or, you know, are slowed down, like it's slow motion. <laughs> and then so when you take foods out of the fridge and freezer, you are either defrosting them at a safe rate or um, mm-hmm. defrosting them in the fridge. Uh, in another vessel so that you catch all that water that's coming off of it. Um, and you are trying to control the temperature. You keep an eye on the temperature of the foods that you are are about to cook. Uh, and you keep it out of that range by keeping it refrigerated or keeping it hot. So keep cold foods cold and hot foods hot. And that is above 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Yum. <laughs> It is, I have to admit, this was the unsexiest part of culinary school and the um, the Department of Health test to get your permit. It is the most boring part, but they care so much about it. I say, I feel like this is, for you, the most boring part, I have so many questions about Okay, that. okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Hit me with them. Well, so like how quickly into culinary school are you getting to the danger zone? You know, are you day one, day 20? Yeah. Uh, I would say my first week of culinary school was mostly chopping. We didn't really get to any heat yet. Okay. Uh, but as soon as you start talking about heat is when they start to drill this into you about the danger zone, because it is uh, something that health inspectors look for mm-hmm. at restaurants when they inspect them in New York City. So they even uh, walk around with, you know, they expect you to have a thermometer. Mm-hmm. And if there is any food in process in the kitchen they will ask you to take the temperature in front of them and they will dock you points if it is in the danger zone that was gonna be my question is like mm-hmm. do you like have to pull that thermometer out stick it in like right there in front of them you know yeah yeah if, if there's a if there's um food sitting on the counter and it hasn't been put in the fridge yet uh you have to answer questions about how long has it been off the heat how long uh has it been sitting here you know and then they'll ask you to take the temperature and Whoop. <laughs> it happens pretty often, folks. Like <laughs> that's good to know though. Like I like once again the behind the scenes of the restaurant stuff. Like I'm curious about that and like nice to know like what the inspector is doing and what like how you maintain like sort of healthy standards within the like the food industry. Mm-hmm. And that's why they have the letter grades. And uh the thing you should know though is that letter grades are a range. They're not mm-hmm. um, you know, uh what I'm trying to say is you can get points off on your test and still have an A. So you okay. you could make that mistake. It depends on how egregious the mistake is, because some some mistakes are um are too much that you fail, mm-hmm. like like vermin, right? Like proof so of of mice and things like that. That is u- usually a big shutdown. So it's a kind of a sliding scale. Yeah, sliding scale. Thank you. That is that is the word I was looking for. Um, but yeah, temperature is important in the kitchen, mm-hmm. obviously. And uh, we try to avoid the danger zone. So there are some things you can do to cool things faster mm-hmm. or to heat things up uh, faster or, you know, because uh, when you when you work with scale, you work mm-hmm. with large amounts of food, they can take a little longer to process. So um you can keep foods out at room temperature for two hours in the danger zone. There's a, there's a timer. So uh-huh. yeah. So if you've taken something from the freezer and it's out on the counter for two mm-hmm. hours, you're safe. 
because the internal temperature of it is still not 40 because it's been frozen. Okay. So you can, you know, you just, as long as you know the range and uh, current temperature of the item, then uh, you can judge whether or not you should put it back into cold storage or start cooking it. If it falls into that danger zone, can you still cook it or no? Like you should just get rid of that food. I mean, with if it's like a minute, like, right? <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, I would say if it's eighty degrees out and mm-hmm. and you're dangerously close to the danger zone, I would really, uh, I don't know, I would consider not using it. But if, if it's, it's like a thing, cold yeah. day and the ambient temperature is forty degrees, then mm-hmm. you're probably a little more safer. Uh, gotcha. You can get away with a little bit more waiting. But yeah, there's a lot of contention about the upper limit of the danger zone because steak, for example, is mm-hmm. uh, cooked at various ranges. So right. rare is less than 140. <laughs> I would say it's even further down. <laughs> and that's a little warning at the end of the menu saying like, listen, like we're outside of the danger zone. You're doing this at your own risk. That's exactly it. That is exactly why uh, that warning is on every menu. It says uh, warning consuming raw, raw or undercooked foods uh, is, you know, dangerous or I don't remember the exact phrase, but it's, it's on every menu, especially at diners where eggs are served, um, you know, over easy or mm-hmm. runny. Um, and this is, it's it's an interesting push and pull because regulatory says, don't serve that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, reality, we eat things that are kind of raw <laughs> all the time. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but um, the, the, the important thing to remember, though, is when you're buying good produce good proteins you know where it comes from you have a least likelihood of getting sick that is good to know Mm -hmm. know, always be able to track back your source exactly so if you're buying from big box stores and it's a meat that you don't know has been frozen x amount of times there's a higher likelihood of of contamination Hmm. Because you don't know where it's been sitting, you don't know its transportation methods, all these different things. Yeah. And I so, guess mm-hmm. well, I was gonna say in the bulk also, is there more of a risk if there are like pieces of meat in bulk? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You are um like risking design. more because there's more contact with services, there's mm-hmm. uh, more processing. Um, and you're you're hitting on something about food systems and that the farther something away is from you the more handling it needs and the more exposure it gets to contagions, which is why um, it's really scary when recalls happen, like for lettuce or things from far 3000 miles away. um, That's, that's pretty dangerous. (laughs) And I don't know, uh, advocate for, uh, you know, a closer food system or at least uh, try when you can, because I know how expensive local Mm -hmm. food can be. Like it's sometimes prohibitive, but when you try to make the good decision, it costs more. (laughs) What a life we have. As the pros and cons of the farmer's market, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love a farmer's market when I can, but right. You know, when I can afford that, but yeah, uh, reality says, uh, (laughs) We're getting the other chicken. <laughs> or sometimes that, that store-bought lettuce just makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, a growing consciousness of all that stuff does not hurt. 
No, I mean, to be aware of sort of where things come from, I think is a good point. You know, like, do you know what source is it? Like, is it 3000 miles? I think that was a very interesting um, compared to like maybe only 300 miles. Like we're in New York City, Long Island, respectively. But like, is it coming from upstate New York or is it coming from California? Those are mm-hmm. two very different places. Yeah, it helps us make, uh, you know, better, de- healthier decisions in the mm-hmm. end. Um, but going back to the danger zone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what what about this 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 weird uh, <laughs> temperature range. Um, well, I think it's sort of maybe we've kind of gotten there a little bit, but like if I'm in my own kitchen, so in the restaurant world, you know, it's one thing you're cooking for a lot of different people. You gotta make sure you stand up to regulations. If I'm in my own kitchen, though, how how imperative it, like imperative is it to follow all these standards? Like if I'm cooking for myself, or when you cook for yourself, do you hold mm-hmm. yourself to the same standards as you do when you're cooking for a large group of people? Yeah, I mean, I, I I keep up with the general principles of mm-hmm. I'm removing meat from the fridge to come to room temperature for just 30 minutes before I'm about to use it. Um, I defrost uh, things in the sink if I'm about to use it or put it in the fridge overnight to defrost. Um, if you're if you're making large batches of soup. And uh, you're not going, you're doing it a day ahead. Uh, sometimes soup will remain hot because it's, you know, it's all uh, in the same pot. It's tall and uh, <laughs> it retains its heat because it's in a Dutch mm-hmm. oven because Dutch ovens are what? Enameled cast iron. And so yeah. it's it's very hot, but it can dip down into that danger zone. And so uh, one way to cool things quickly is to increase its surface area. So you can transfer a soup that needs to be cooled faster into like a casserole pan, which is wider so okay. that it's going to evaporate and, uh, you know, lose lose heat quicker. So oh, that's one way. Soups on pans again, spreading that soup out. This yeah, like spread the soup out. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, but uh, cooling things uh, fast enough within two hours is also a concern at home, especially if you want to eat that stuff again. <laughs> that's good to know like all those times are actually very good to know because uh, you know it's not always like list it's not so easily found necessarily to get the like, correct times for different things especially like stuff like soup where you're not really thinking necessarily about um, how condensed it is I guess while mm-hmm. you're making it and if that spreading out trick doesn't work so well you can mm-hmm. nest the pot in a bigger mixing bowl uh, full of ice I would have never thought of that okay <laughs> yeah ice bath ice bath for your soup mm-hmm. welcome to the, welcome to the winter season so say say you were doing a soup swap with neighbors mm-hmm. and you were making it a day ahead but you need to cool it down quick uh because you cannot put hot things in the fridge mm-hmm. <laughs> some people think oh it's cold in there so it'll just uh you know it'll it'll just uh it'll be fine (laughs) but no what does that do it brings down the entire temperature of the fridge and you're putting your other food in the fridge in danger they're all in the danger zone they're all in the danger zone (laughs) so keep your food safe cool things outside of the fridge and then transfer them to the fridge um and you'll be good you won't poison anyone (laughs) okay So, I mean, that's like end of game of culinary word of the day. It's like we're talking about food safety. And we don't want to poison people. Yeah. That's, you know. Just don't poison people. Don't poison yourself. Yeah. Keep an eye on the temperature. 
Okay. Do you have any uh, final questions for the day? I think we should uh, wrap it up. Wrap it up. Um, let me think about this. Um, we talked about a lot of good. Is there anything, any surprise food that is in the danger zone or can be easily in the danger zone that we don't think about? Besides, you know, those like meat, stuff like that comes quickly to mind. Oh, is there gosh. anything else? Eggs. Eggs. Eggs are tough. Eggs are tough because uh, in in Europe, <laughs> in Europe and a lot of other places in the world, people don't refrigerate their eggs. Mm-hmm. And uniquely to the U.S., we have to refrigerate our eggs. Why? Because they've been over-processed. <laughs> because uh, when you wash a chicken egg, you're mm-hmm. washing off. Like So commercially uh, in the U.S., um, eggs that are not from, you know, they come from the farm. They're power washed and sometimes bleached. And you're removing a vital preservation layer on the egg. And mm-hmm. so as a result, the U.S., we have to refrigerate our eggs. And everybody in, in France is looking at us weird. Like, <laughs> I keep my eggs in a bowl on the counter. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. For centuries that we, we've done For this. For centuries. I've never gotten sick from this. It's mm-hmm. We've introduced a level of complexity to our eggs that, you know, introduce more danger. <laughs> into the danger zone so if you if you have relatives who have grown up putting their eggs on the counter uh and they still do that and they live in the u.s (laughs) please sneak the eggs back into the fridge (laughs) in their safe place in the safe place uh but yeah um don't worry too much about like cooking eggs to temperature because you're popping your egg yolk. That's not what you want to do. As long as your eggs are from a good place, uh, mm-hmm. I would trust that uh, raw egg yolk is good. <laughs> but that's at your own risk, of course. We're we're saying that disclaimer that consuming yep. raw or undercooked foods may be dangerous to sensitive individuals. Oh, that's the end of it. It's to sensitive individuals. Damn. So uh, those who... Uh, are carrying uh, babies or are older or younger who don't have quite developed immune systems, then eating raw stuff is probably not for you. Right. (laughs) You're mildly in a a different danger zone. Yeah. Different danger zone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, people danger zone. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, uh, that was a really (laughs) great chat about temperature. Yes. And cooking methods. Um, Folks, if you have questions for Alicia and I or clarification or supporting documentation that we haven't talked about, we would love to hear it. You can tweet us at culinarywotd or head to patreon.com slash randwitches and you can comment on the specific posts about each thing. Um, But Alicia, any parting notes for our, our lovely listeners? No, I very much enjoy talking about the danger zone. So you <laughs> stay know, out I, of the danger zone. I stay out of it. I got a lot out of that today, though. So that was great. <laughs> I'm really glad. <laughs> um, well, until next time, folks, enjoy your upcoming culinary words of the day. Bye. Bye.